You know, there are a lot of different interpretations of this story out there, and most of them, I dare say, are pretty rough on Martha. Two sisters, one listens while the other is distracted, one sees God, while the other, Martha, misses God entirely in her self-induced blur of worry and anxiety and frantic motion. It's easy to be rough on Martha in this story, isn't it? But it seems to me that if we are willing today at this moment in time to take a hard look in the mirror, the reflection we might see looking back at us is a spitting image of Martha. I don't know about you, but I think it's fair to say that 2020 for me has been perhaps more of a blur than any other year in my life. I mean, at this precise moment today, we can almost walk out our doors and feel the worry and the upset and the anxiety of our world hanging there as heavy as the humidity all around us. Right today, right now, I think all of us, to some degree or another, we are worried about Tuesday and what will come after. Even those of us who say, well, this whole COVID thing, it doesn't change the way I live. I think if we're being honest, if we look deep enough inside, we might discover that all of us are carrying this, this weight, this weight of what if, as we go about our lives in this season of pandemic. Their businesses, organizations, clubs, there are churches that are truly, truly wondering if they will even make it to 2021. There are families in our own community who are worried how much longer they might be able to keep the home in which they are living. There are communities across this nation out west in the wake of wildfires and on the Gulf Coast and places like Louisiana, poor Louisiana. There are entire communities that are wondering right now how they will rebuild. Right? I think if we take a hard look, we will certainly recognize and be willing to acknowledge that today, all of us, we are Martha. But Mary... Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. Now, I imagine Mary in this scene, and I see her being just as stressed, just as worried, just as anxious as her sister. Right? If any of you have ever prepared to welcome out-of-town guests or the neighbor next door who just moved in into your home for a meal, you know how much work will pour into it. 
We'll go around and dust the bookshelves. We'll sweep under that couch we haven't looked under in years. And that's just for the neighbor next door. Imagine if it is the Messiah at your door. Right? Surely Mary is feeling all the same things that Martha is acting out in this story. But for a moment, Mary chooses. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says Mary has chosen. Mary chooses to declutter her mind, to quiet her heart, and focus solely on God. Right? Mary Mary assumes what we might call a different posture in this story, a posture that is very different than that of Martha. I imagine her there at Jesus' feet with eyes that are wide and a heart that is just swelling with joy. The whole thing reminds me of an experience I had a few years ago when I was invited with a group to go to a a Shabbat dinner, a traditional Friday night meal in the home of an ultra-Orthodox Jewish family. Now, Shabbat is Hebrew, of course, for Sabbath. And on the Jewish calendar, the Sabbath begins each week at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday. Most Jewish people observe Shabbat in some form or another, but deeply observant Jews treat their Sabbath with such respect that they won't drive a car, they certainly won't work, but they won't even touch a computer, they won't turn on or turn off a light once the sun has gone down on Friday. I remember our host, only half joking, or maybe not joking at all, asked our group quite politely that if we had to use the restroom in his home that night to please leave the light on. Because if we happened to leave with the light off, that light would be off until sundown the next day. What I remember about that meal, though, is that there was this frenetic energy suffusing the entire house. We were a big group, and this was a small home that this couple, and I think like their eight kids, lived in. We were packed in there. It was hectic. It was a little stressful trying not to spill the dishes of food as they're passed down the table. But underneath that that frenetic energy was something that I can only describe as joy. There was this joy filling that space and emanating from that family. The joy of purposefully setting aside time to spend with one another to renew themselves intentionally for the week ahead. There was this joy that filled that space as this group of people set aside electronics, set aside appointments, set aside time to focus solely on God. What if this beatitude with its strange language, what if this beatitude is really a call to change the posture of our hearts? One of my guides through the beatitudes is a former pastor at 
Riverside Church in New York City. I've said his name once or twice before, Eric Kolbel. And I love what he says about the purity of heart. He says that a pure heart is not a perfect or unblemished heart. Thanks be to God. It's simply a heart that chooses to notice how close God is. Even in the blur of our lives and of our world. Purity of heart, he says, means lightening our psychological and emotional loads. It means choosing, there's that word again, choosing a posture of stillness. Stillness of body, of mind, of spirit. Choosing a posture of stillness over motion. It means lowering the volume level of our worry and anxiety and glimpsing the fact that God, God is never far from us. Indeed, God may be right in front of us as Mary recognized all those years ago. What if this beatitude is really a call to change our posture? Now, I know not all of us, perhaps none of us, are ready to commit ourselves to a sundown to sundown kind of routine in our week. But what if there are other practices we can take on to purify our hearts, to notice God's presence a little more. I heard recently that Barbara Brown Taylor at this year's Decatur Book Festival, which was held online, she told uh, the virtual audience that she had adopted a new spiritual practice in 2020. She said, my spiritual practice is that when I wake up every day, I wait at least, and I think this is how long she said, at least three hours before I ever check the news. She says, I set aside those three hours for reading the scriptures, for listening to creation as I sit on my front porch and taste that perfect taste of my first cup of coffee of the day. She sets aside that time to allow God's presence to set her her agenda for the day instead of the news and whatever it's reporting in that moment. I love that. But there are other practices as well. Some of you have uh, been responding, I know, to the challenge that I issued to myself, and I'm still responding to this past summer to read a psalm every day. One of the things that I've taken away from that is as I read a psalm every day, it situates my day in God's space. I'm, I'm invited through the words of the psalmist to remember that God's love is as wide as the sea as high as the stars. It reminds you of your place, and it attunes your vision to God's presence. Maybe it's worship. Maybe it's a walk on the beach. Maybe it's a a meal with a spouse or a friend. Recently, I've enjoyed the spiritual practice of throwing the football in my front yard with my boys who are now old enough to enjoy being outside and doing an activity as simple as that. The pure heart is not the perfect or unblemished heart. It's simply the one that chooses to notice how close God is, even when the life 
in the world in which we are living flies by like a blur. There's a story I heard recently about a group of children who were living in an orphanage in London in World War II. They had the hardest time sleeping because they were so afraid that when they woke up the next day, they might find themselves alone once again, without anyone in the orphanage or in the city, for that matter, to take care of them. Noticing their lack of sleep and how upset they were, one of their guardians there at the orphanage decided one night to give each child a piece of bread to sleep with. Let this remind you, she told them, that for all of the uncertainties, we fed you today, and we will be here to feed you tomorrow. And with that, the children slept through the night. I wonder how this story from Luke's gospel would have been different had someone given Martha a piece of bread to sleep with at night. Friends, may May this beatitude, may this this table that we are about to approach, may it be bread under our pillows. May it be a reminder that for all of the uncertainties, all of the worry, all of the anxiety of this moment, God has fed us today. And God will feed us tomorrow. Indeed, may it be the reminder that God is near, even now. And with pure hearts, may we wake tomorrow to go out and share that good news with others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may it be so, this day, and forevermore. Amen.